life in Jacob's family has gotten very difficult indeed. Imagine all the food and supplies that you need for your family, and imagine how much is needed for Jacob's family. He's living not just with two wives and their children, but with their servants and children too. Eleven boys in total, their wives and children in addition to that, not to mention all the people that they have hired to work with them. This is a huge household. As shepherds, they also need to provide for their animals, a feat that has gotten more and more difficult as the famine has set in. But there is a possibility of salvation. Egypt has stores of food. Jacob sends 10 of his boys, really grown men at this point, let's be honest, to get enough food to feed this complex of family members. But why do 10 brothers go? Surely it doesn't take 10 people to lead a caravan of donkeys from Israel to Egypt and back again. But perhaps these 10 brothers, the the 10 who threw Joseph into a pit and sold him to slavers and lied, telling their father that he was dead, maybe even 13 years later, they don't trust themselves to be split up for long periods of time. If Reuben and Simeon were to leave Judah behind, Maybe Judah would tell Jacob what happened. And there's no telling if Dan and Naphtali would try to curry favor with Jacob if they were left behind instead. Much better then, I think, from the brother's perspective for all 10 of these brothers to go together. And so they go. This caravan of cynicism, this detail of distrust, this vanguard of variability, they head down to Egypt. And there, though they don't know it yet, they are about to encounter grace. Also some more trickery, but mostly grace. Joseph had to be ecstatic to see his brothers appear before him. Now, at long last, he could get his rightful vengeance on those who sold him into slavery. At least that seems to be what he's thinking at the beginning of this story when he accuses them of being spies. You have come to be the spies, seeing the vulnerabilities of this land. He roars at them, probably pleased as punch with himself for how he can exact retribution from these brothers of his at long last. And then they say something, something that Joseph never expected to hear. They say that they are 12 brothers, The youngest is in the land of Canaan with our father, but one is no more. The brothers think they're talking to a complete stranger, but without being prompted, they finally acknowledge Joseph to his face. And now Joseph's whole demeanor changes. He's got to come up with a new plan on the fly, one not focused on retribution, but on grace, or at least maybe a few steps closer to grace. I grant you, he does lock up his brothers for three days before releasing all of them. It's not exactly the most grace-filled response. But he gets there eventually. He releases all of them but Simeon, returns their silver, and while his brothers, when they discover the returned money, start to panic a little bit, I doubt that Joseph intended that reaction. I mean, even so, there were better ways to handle the situation if he didn't intend a negative reaction like this, like being direct and immediately telling them that uh, who he really was and what was going on. 
After all, he does want to meet the one brother who didn't throw him into a pit, and he wants his brothers to come back again, preferably with that brother and maybe even with their father. Maybe you've had experiences like Joseph's. I mean, not exactly like Joseph's. Hopefully none of you have been thrown into a pit and sold into slavery and gone through this entire process. If you have, I am very sorry, and we need to talk about this and see what we can do. But maybe you felt similar things to how Joseph is feeling. For instance, I may not have had siblings growing up, but I did have close cousins that were like my siblings at family gatherings at the very least. I was right in the middle age-wise, two cousins older than me and three younger. At one family reunion in St. Clairsville, Ohio, where my grandmother lived, we were having a big family dinner. We were split between the huge adult table, which was set up in the basement. I think that was the only place that there was enough room for all of the adults to sit together. And uh, the kids' table was upstairs in the kitchen. I say adult at kids' tables, but there was one open seat at the adult table, and Amber, my eldest cousin, was invited to take it. Now, she was all of 11 years old at the time, and uh, her sister and I could have been gracious about this and said, oh, Amber, how wonderful you get to finally sit with the adults, how, how great this is. But instead, that green-eyed monster of jealousy uh, rose up in us. And to be fair, Cousin Amber did not help matters, suddenly treating us like servants. <laughs> hey, Luke, grab me a bag of chips from the kitchen while you're sitting at the kids' table. The adults are having mashed potatoes, but I want some chips, too. Grumbling, I, I went to do what she told me. In the kitchen, I ran into her sister Maggie, who was also on a fetch quest. But Amber had made the mistake of asking Maggie to bring her a pop from the fridge. And that's when, just like Joseph, we knew we could get our revenge. Maggie, I said, what if you gave the pop to Amber, just like she asked, but uh, we shook it up a little bit first? Technically, she never asked us not to shake it up. Giggling maniacally, we proceeded to each shake the pop for a good two minutes. Then we took it and the chips to Amber and climbed up the basement steps, pausing at the top to look through the spindles on the railing, certain that the glorious results of our mischief would be evident soon. And we waited. And we waited. Finally, Amber opened the pop. CO2 bubbles and soda syrup sprayed everywhere. Oh, the glory. Our plan had worked. And Amber was none the wiser that we had shaken it up. We had caused her downfall without suspicion falling on us, the innocent kids at the kids' table. But then we heard a cry of distress. Amber, so proud to sit at the table with the adults, was understandably upset that her place at the table was now a mess. Somehow she'd managed to keep from spraying herself, but the tablecloth was wet and sticky, and Amber was thoroughly embarrassed. And just like Joseph's brothers, Maggie and I knew that we had screwed up. All the glory we had felt just moments before, it was changed into guilt. And we were too afraid to admit our guilt to Amber or to our parents. 
Years later at a family reunion in Michigan, I brought up the events of that night, and both Maggie and I remembered, but Amber had forgotten. <laughs> we apologized and received the grace and forgiveness that helped heal our conscience. Joseph's brothers felt the great guilt for their actions and obviously had incorporated it into their lives. Unlike with my cousins and I, they had no way of knowing that Joseph was still alive and that they could apologize and be forgiven. Instead, they carried the guilt with them. At their second meeting with Pharaoh's great official, who really was Joseph, but they had no idea of this, this time with Brother Benjamin in tow, they were very worried that the guilt they carried for losing a brother would be repaid by the loss of another brother. But at first, it seemed that all was well. Indeed, though they were fearing the emptiness of belly and of family, the great official invited them to a feast and sat them in family birth order from oldest to youngest. That which they were lacking, food and family, were being provided to them, and more and in greater amounts than they had any right to believe. This time when the brothers left, Joseph played one last trick on them to make sure that they returned. In addition to returning their silver, Joseph also hid a silver cup among the packs of his youngest brother, the one brother who had not wronged him as a child. And now Joseph sets one last test before them. Facing famine, will they forego family? Or will they face family forsaking the food they sought? When Judah responds, he offers himself in place of Benjamin, showing Joseph that Judah, at least, cares about his brothers and their father. Judah's response is powerful no matter how many centuries pass. He ends with, how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I feared to see the suffering that would come upon my father. Now Joseph, rather than feeling the glory of comeuppance, instead feels the guilt of trickery. Everything has come full circle. His life has been bereft of family since his brothers sold him, and now he is facing a famine of family again, should his brothers leave. Joseph now faces one final choice. Will he reveal himself to them and offer forgiveness? Or will he let them leave? Maybe never see them, his father, or any of his family again. We'll find out next time in Joseph more than a dream code, the sermon series this summer. May you feel the grace of God and know that you are forgiven. Forgiven in Christ's grace, may you forgive those who have wronged you rather than tricking them. And filled with the Holy Spirit, may you face your family and friends with love for all. Amen.